0: fighting it the whole time, you are out of alignment. You need to go to wherever you want to go to and have them fix the alignment on your vehicle. They'll hold a standard to it, and they'll get you back in alignment. Every now and again, somebody shoots their rifle at a deer, misses the deer, and it actually is the rifle's fault. That scope was not zeroed. It doesn't work. It shoots over here, and you're aiming over there. It's not the not the guy behind the trigger, it's the, it's the scope. You need to zone that rifle back in place. Every now and again, your tire pressure is low, hasn't been checked in seven years, and you're going, to wonder why it's low, and you've got to go and you've got to hold that little tire pressure gauge and check the pressure of that tire and fill it up. That clock on that wall moves way faster than every clock in this world. <laughs> Periodically, it needs recalibration. Just like every other clock, when you're setting your time, you go, what time do you got? What time do you got? What time do you got? And try to figure out what you're doing. You ever true a tire on a bicycle? I know Tim has. Uh, Every now and again, I know most folks can do it up against the brake pad on their bike, but if you take it into a bike shop, they have a little stand. You put it in the stand. This little pokey thing is right here. And that's, by the way, the technical term. It's a little pokey thing. And then you take the uh, tire and the tube off in the rim, spin the rim, And where it rubs, you adjust it, and eventually you get that great wobbly tire to be true. You're taking something, you're holding it up to a standard, and getting it realigned. Because it got out of whack by use. Now, beloved, if you have been here long enough, and you've known Dan long enough, you know, I know where he's going. You should know where I'm going by now. I am amazed at what's happened in our world, specifically in our country, in the last year and a half, two years. I am amazed at what Christians have decided to fight about and draw their lines over. I'm amazed at what churches have split over. I'm amazed at what um, can become controversy among us. I'm amazed what we have allowed to take so much of our heart in such a short span. And that's just Dan. I've only been a pastor for 15 years, but I've spoken to other pastors who've been pastors for 40 years, and they've said, I've never seen anything like this in our ministry. We are out of whack. And we need to go up to a standard, and we need some fresh alignment. Now, beloved, don't miss me here. I'm not saying that we need to get realigned every uh, every two years. I need alignment, spiritually speaking, every day, because I'm naturally bent to go and veer off. Well, when you go see a doctor, or you go to the chiropractor, or you go to the guy that's going to work on your vehicle, typically the first thing that takes place is a little bit of diagnostic work. So here's 12 diagnostic questions for your pondering, and then I want to bring a standard, and... Lord willing, by the Spirit of God, we will all leave here freshly aligned. It's a big task, but he's up for it. Why am I breathing right now? Now, you're not, you're not answering for me, by the way. <laughs> Let me just say that right now. You're answering for you. Why am I breathing right now? Why am I in this building this morning? What's my money being used for? Why do I have a car? Why do I go and do that job every day? Why am I faithful to my spouse? What does my computer and cell phone history reveal about me? What does my calendar say about my priorities? What have been the top two topics of discussion between you and your unsaved friends in the last couple years? What about the top two discussion with your saved friends? What about, do I believe the lie that this life is truly about my happiness and my comfort? And lastly, is there ample evidence to prove that notion? So the standard I want to hold up, and by the way, I don't read that out of some guilt thing, I read that because... A Puritan wrote many, many, many years ago. It is a good day when the Lord allows you to see yourself. It's a bad day when you're completely off kilter and you have no idea you're off kilter. But when God, in His grace, goes, Dan, Dan, just sit down and I want to explain to you how far off you are. And He lets you see it. Ah, pure grace. Pure, pure grace. When the Lord says, "I will let you see the standard and see where you are." And so here's the standard, beloved. I want to look at the Apostle Paul and his little in between his, his two years, his dilemma of what is my life for? Or better, who's my life for? Let me give you the proper setting of the text. In other words, the the context. If you look down at your Bibles, chapter 1, Philippians, verse 15. Well, verse 12, actually. The apostle says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed, now listen to this, this is wild. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, there are people, so Paul's in prison, there are people out there preaching, and some of the people are preaching out of selfish ambition with a desire to actually do harm to Paul. Now you go, so are they saved or unsaved? The text doesn't, say the, doesn't answer that, and it doesn't say heresy either. It doesn't say they're preaching a false gospel. He says, some preach Christ out of. So he's letting us see maybe the inward motivation of these people, they are preaching Christ on purpose in order to do harm to the Apostle Paul. At the same time, there are some who are preaching Christ with pure motives. They love me, they love the gospel, they love this lost world, and they love the church. And so on behalf of that, they herald the gospel. And then he cuts through the fat really quick and he goes, but either way, what I rejoice in is the gospels being declared. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Paul's joy was to see Christ glorified. Now, I know that's, that's um, Christian language. That's language we hear from the pulpit all the time, language we read in books, we hear from other believers, and it can sweep by so fast. But think about that, beloved Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying, my happiness, my joy, is seen when Jesus gets honored. Now, by nature, typically, our joy is seen when we are honored. No, no, no. Paul says, I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't care about that at all. My joy is when Jesus gets honored, when he's glorified, when people see him to be great, that's what's important, not me. Not not Paul, not this puny little guy that persecuted the church and then the Lord drew him to himself and made him alive. No, that's not what this is about. My joy is the honor and glory of Jesus. And so these Yahoos over here preaching to do me harm, they're still preaching Christ. These over here with pure motives, they're still preaching Christ. And me... Well, the entire imperial guard knows that I'm here imprisoned for Jesus, so even among those guards around me, Christ is magnified. What I love about Paul is that he is constantly getting the world in a corner. They have no argumentation against this guy. Because you go, okay, Paul, well, we're going to persecute you. Okay, then the church is going to get stronger, I'll warn you. Okay, we're going to beat you. Okay, but those scars, everybody who sees those scars, they're going to know those are brand marks for Christ and once again the church is going to get stronger then we might kill you then i'll be a martyr for the lord jesus well, then we're going to just imprison you and hide you out then you're going to get a bunch of safeguards <laughs> i have no doubt in my mind at some point the leadership among the imperial guards there at some point we're going i don't know what to do with them you can't beat them into submission you can't threaten them into submission He just keeps coming back, fearless. And so there's your, beloved, there is your foundation, if you will, of the ministry of the Apostle Paul is a man who is absolutely and totally at ease because God is sovereign over all things. I am... I am more convinced of that than many, many pieces of theology. I am utterly convinced the Apostle Paul, the reason he was confident and courageous in his ministry was because he truly thought and believed God is in charge of all things. And he's working all things together for good. Remember, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote that. And he lived that. Now, He's going to lay in front of us what his life looks like. These are the reasons, in Paul's mind, if you were to go and visit him in prison, and you say, Paul, I'm curious, what would you say is the reason you are existing? If that question was asked asked of you today, if somebody catches you on the way out of church, or you're at a restaurant, or you're at the grocery store, and they say, hey, I noticed you came out of the church building over there. Why are you alive? And and I don't mean, well, because there's a pump right here and there's things going... No, I mean, like, what's your purpose? What's the reason for your existence? Listen to what Paul says verse 19. Now, he's talking about the fact that he is confident. You'll see this throughout the passage. He's confident he's going to get released. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. So you see, there is a a joy in the proclamation of the gospel, and there is a confidence in this man, I will be let go. Now, where do you get the confidence? I don't know, and the text doesn't say that the Lord told him this or communicated this to him per se. There's nothing like that in the passage, so I won't read that into there. All I know is that he gives two things, the prayers of the saints and the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, Spirit of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit. It's used interchangeably for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying in this passage is, I know I will be freed because of the prayer... Of the saints on my behalf and the power of the Spirit of the living God. It's interesting to watch what happens to another believer when somebody informs them they have been praying for them for some time and then to actually share with them what they've been praying. And notice that's something Paul does all the time. I've been praying for you that. Because it's one thing for somebody to go, I've been praying for you. Awesome. For what? But with Paul, he says, that you. And then he goes off into what he's been praying on behalf of others. Beloved, there is a sweet, God-given courage and confidence that comes in the life of a Christian when they find out there are those who are in prayer behind them. My grandmother prayed for me every day before she went to be with the Lord. I knew that. I had that. I knew my grandma's back there on behalf of me, going to the throne of grace daily. That that means something to think there's an individual going before the sovereign of the universe saying, please help him, please strengthen him, please carry him, and don't let him fail. So the Apostle says, by your prayers, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever forget this. I know sometimes, guys, will hear this term, we'll say, there's power in prayer, right? You've heard that, I'm sure you've heard that, you've probably even said that. There's power in prayer. Let me just remind you, the prayer's not the power, the one you're petitioning is the one who has the power. It's not that you're just praying to nothing, you know, when, when we hear our, the world we live in say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. I always want to ask the same question, Who are you praying to? Because I need to know. Are you praying to somebody, and how is that prayer going to the living God if it's not in Christ? Because he accepts no other means for you to be going to him. So he says that they are praying on his behalf. It's his eager expectation and hope that this man will not be ashamed but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in his body. Paul had taken up the cross. Because what's so interesting about this passage is he says he will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. And here's what's so awesome, Christian, is that there is nothing that this world can do to thwart the good purpose of God, because he has already had victory over death. That's over. Now, I'm not saying it's not painful. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. Of course it does. But we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We, that has been taken care of by Christ. And so the Apostle Paul has come to the Lord, and he has come to the Lord in the way that Jesus said to come to him. All those who would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In layman's terms, Jesus is saying, I want you to come fully ready to die for my sake. The cross was an instrument of death, and so when Jesus said, take up your cross, the concept was not simply that meant some other thing. No, in their mind, they knew exactly what he meant. If you're coming, you're coming all the way. And you're giving everything you have. You are not sprinkling a little bit of Christ into your life to make things more comfortable. If there is is ever a lie perpetrated in this world under the guise of Christianity that's pumped into other parts of this world, it is that lie. That if you come to Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus, he'll make your life so much more glossy, so much more comfortable. Jesus promised the opposite of that. This is what's so troubling to me, beloved. There are people in pulpits this morning telling other people the opposite of what Christ promised his disciples. Jesus said, if you come to me, come ready to die, deny yourself, follow me. And in other pulpits in this land, there are people this morning standing up saying, God wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants your happiness more than you want your own happiness. So won't you you just come and come to him and make God happy? It's the opposite of the discipleship initiative that Jesus set out there. Christ said, either you come, all of you, or you're not worthy of me. I know, guys, that's harsh. I know that at first hearing we go, wow, how are you ever going to make converts? I don't make converts. That's the miracle of regeneration. It's impossible for me to make a convert. That's the work of God. That's why for, for years I have said to you, as the body of Christ, you sitting here are evidence of the miraculous work of the Spirit of God. You shouldn't be here. By nature, you shouldn't be here. Here you are. That is evidence of the power of God in your life. Paul knew this. The Lord told Ananias specifically when Paul was converted... He said, he is a chosen instrument of mine, and I will show him what he will suffer for me in his ministry to the Gentiles. From day one, the apostle heard that. And he received it. But there is great courage, and he, his main desire, the main goal of his life, is I want to see the glory of Jesus from my living. Or from my dying. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? I'm sure you have, where you start talking about one thing, and then in that conversation, they tell a story that triggers another story that you've got, so then you tell that story, which triggers another story that they've got, they tell that story, and all of a sudden, you have no idea why you're talking about what you're talking about. One thing led to another. I don't think this is that random, but nonetheless, the passage is fascinating because it's almost like the Apostle Paul jumps to something different. And what he jumps to is an internal dilemma in his own mind and heart. Because he says, I want to honor the Lord. I want my body to be pleasing to him. I want to use my tongue, my feet, my hands, my heart, my soul. I want it for his glory, whether by life or by death. Then we do this big transition into, and I'm not sure which one's better. Well, he is sure, but he opens up. Now, really quick. He's not talking about taking his own life and contemplating that. That's not in the passage. What he's saying is this is the actual discussion he's having in his own heart as he sits there in the prison cell. If I live, that means a lot of use in God's hand. If I die, that means absolute pure joy in the presence of Christ. And please don't miss this point because it's vital to the text. Did you see how many other options he threw out there? <laughs> listen, listen to the, what the word says. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, probably in contrast to the false preachers and teachers, or not false, but the the ones with impure motives, the ones he was speaking about there, but also specifically just simply stating, but for me, this is where life is at right now. To live is Christ. Christ is the source of my spiritual well-being. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. That nothing is not a little something. He simply is saying, I have nothing apart from him. He is the vine, I am the branch. So he's my life in that aspect, but he's also my life in that if I'm breathing, my life is, is Jesus' life. Guys, what else could he have meant when he said, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul's dead, and now I live for Christ, because of Christ, in Christ. Talk about a 180 from so much religion that we hear about all the time where we, we can play church, we can dress the part, we can talk the right way, we can do all of the fads. Christianity is the most faddish bunch of people And Paul says, if you're breathing, your life is not your life. That is so incredibly radical to my nature, my fallen nature. My fallen nature is my life's my life. Back off. I have rights. No, you don't have rights. You gave those up when you came to him, you're his. You are all his. He claimed everything. And so to live is Jesus. Now, really quick, guys, as a side note that I think is is very important, and I would imagine you're all aware of this and know this, but I think it's important to say and sometimes some people can hear that statement and they go, so Dan, what, am I supposed to sell everything I own and sell the house and tell the kids, well, off to Kenya? Maybe. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying maybe. I think it would be terrible if I told you, no, that's not what he, what if he is saying that to you? I don't want to stand in the way of that. But that's not what I am saying. That's up to the Spirit of God to put that kind of conviction into your soul. What I'm simply getting at, beloved, is that the issue is not removing things. The issue is seeing what things are for. What's your marriage for? What are your kids for? What's your car for? What's all this for? What's What's the reason for it? Why is it there? Why am I breathing Why am I behind this piece of wood this morning? Why have I been here since early this morning? What's going on? What is the reason for all this activity? Paul says, Jesus. The 12 questions that I asked you at the beginning, Paul sits down and goes, Oh, yeah, Jesus. Uh, Yeah, Jesus again. Yes, Jesus again. And he just continues, that's what he's getting at when he says, to live is Christ. He's saying, every facet of my life, there's not a room in my life where Jesus doesn't get the key to unlock the door. It's all his. Now I know, beloved, put in the human factor, we go, I mess up every day. I know that's why he died on the cross. But that doesn't, that doesn't cancel it. That doesn't mean that we don't strive and plead with the Lord, that more and more of ourselves becomes His all the time. Remember, every last one of us to some way, somehow are out of alignment this morning. We are recalibrating by the Word of God. Jesus is not simply an addition to the life, but he is the very center of that life, a a life devoted to the service of Christ. And Paul says specifically, and this is what is so beautiful about this passage, and let me just say, if you're taking notes, as a side note, it's fascinating to me, whenever the Apostle Paul speaks about serving Christ, almost immediately the next passage is the service of the Bride of Christ. I'm seeing it in the Word all the time, just in my reading, but also in the study coming here before you guys. When Paul brings up the service of Jesus so fast, he makes a beeline to the service of the church, the body of Christ, which doesn't that make sense when you go, how could I serve Jesus? The answer, you serve the people of Christ. You serve the body of Christ. You serve the church. And so the Apostle Paul in this passage, he says, if I stay, that means fruitful labor. Look at verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Now, I love what he says here, because all of us, I hope, would say amen. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Beloved, what does the world do with a batch of people that see death as far better? Good luck threatening the church. But within this little dilemma in his mind, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, but to remain in the flesh, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There it is, beloved, you see that, for the church. Convinced of this... I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. If you're keeping notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. I'm not going to turn and read, read to there. It's basically a parallel passage along with this passage here in Philippians. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9, that's the classic one. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord just to show that when you die, there's no soul sleep, there's no weird waiting period like a lot of the cults want to argue for. No, when you die, you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, to the thief on the cross. Paul says, if you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. When your loved one in Christ dies, boom, Christ. Dan Mason gets hit by a bus this morning. Jesus, instantly which the Apostle Paul says, far, far better. Death in Christ is far better. And so what I love is he lands the plane here and goes, therefore, I'm an instrument in the hand of God. So if you look at 25, it says, convinced of this I know I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, and this is a very interesting wording, verse 26, so that in me... You may have ample cause to glory in Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, I understand that it would, it would feel like a, an arrogant statement if we were to make this comment, but let me just put it in more of a general way of putting it. Beloved, think about this. You there would be a reason for people to give glory to Christ because of what they have seen in you. What an honor to think of a man worthy of the wrath of God to be used for the glory and honor of Christ. Dan Mason deserves the wrath of God so much. And then for him to call me from death to life, make me his own, call me a son, and then commission me to herald this good news is overwhelming. And so the apostle saw himself, therefore I'm an instrument in the hand of God and I want to be the best instrument I can in his hand for his glory because this this tiny little span of life, very short for some, maybe a little longer for others, and most land in the middle. This little span of life is so quick that He gives us to honor His name. Convinced God will sustain Him, Paul says, stay in the course. stay on the task and I will see the progress and joy of God's people. And in me, they'll have ample reason to glory in Jesus. It is a very powerful thought to think that God can use a redeemed sinful man in such an incredible way. And Paul closes by saying he has plans of visiting him again. So as we draw this to a conclusion, I have a couple thoughts that I want to draw your attention to. Remember, we're we're recalibrating a bit. Perhaps the Spirit of God has put his hand on something in your life and you're already aware of it right now. And either one of two things, you're going, no, not me, not now. Or God, in his gracious way, has shown you where he wants you to hear him. Beloved, I am getting more and more fascinated in my own heart and in life, but also watching this world at the futility of the pursuit of this life for this life's sake. And I'm not looking down on anybody. I see it in my own heart. I know my nature. I know the shiny things of this world are beautiful to me. But the futility of them the more deaths I see, the more people I stand grieving, knowing that all the dollars in the world, all the, all the cars, all of the prestige, all of the things this world can afford, all the power that you gave so much for, means nothing. It all stays. You ever watched a dog try to catch its tail? I'm one of those that actually is kind of interested. Like, I almost got it. You almost got it. And you go, this is the most futile thing I've ever seen. And then I see my own heart chasing after this life, thinking I'm actually going to keep what I get. And the dog watches me going, what an idiot. As one pastor said, when you're living your life for, the, for this life alone, It's like the guy who is arranging and rearranging the deck chairs of the Titanic. What an act of absolute futility to live this life for this life's sake. And so here's the main punch. You were designed, I was designed to live for somebody else. And the lie from this world on a daily basis is you were designed for you. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Beloved, you were designed for another. You remember, anybody here ever seen Toy Story? Yeah, the movie's Toy Story? You you, you should. Um. <clears throat> remember when... when uh, uh, Andy, or not Andy, but the, uh, the cowboy, Woody, lifts up his shoe. Remember what's on the bottom of the shoe? Andy. Why? Andy owns him. Beloved, if you're in Christ, lift up your shoe right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> you're marked. You're not yours. Jesus has full rights to you. He demands all of you. And he will not, and I promise you, he will not settle for half. By grace, he will bring things into your life to get it all. He disciplines those whom he loves. You're all his if you are his. And so I close with this, specifically to you moms, but obviously this applies to everybody in the room if you're a believer. A Christ-centered mom is a powerful weapon in the hand of God. And now, again, that's true for dads, but that's June. To you moms, I do believe, I am convinced of this as one who's married to a mom, who has a mom, and who ministers to moms, there is a particular special place for a Christian mother in the life of her family and in the life of the church. And so, Lord, bless you, sisters. And my prayer is that you would be powerhouse Christian women who are centered on the gospel, who recognize your life's not your life, and it is for Christ. Whether you live or whether you die, the passion of your soul is I will see Christ honored in my being. Our Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I have no control of how these words I've been saying will land on the people of God. So, Holy Father, I... I ask of you, I petition you, dear God, to sow the seed of your word in such a way that it impacts the saints. And that, Father, we would be a people of the King who recognize the ownership of our God. And, Father, we don't begrudge that in the least, but it is so good to be stamped, as owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, may we find our fullness of joy in seeing the honor and glory of our Master. For Lord, this little life lasts just a sec. And then our eyes open to all eternity in your presence. Father, please give us an eternal perspective on these things. Please, God, help us to not settle for the cheap imitation this world offers, but to go to the real in Jesus. I love this church family, Lord, so much. They mean so much to me. So, Father, I ask of you to make us holy, progressively, Father, make us holy, that we might see the glory and honor of Jesus in this little fellowship here, Father. And so it is for his name and in his name I ask this. Amen.